Thank you for tuning in to the best parenting show on the internet. Post Daily Dose. Hey, good evening, Facebook family. Welcome to another episode of Post Daily Dose with me, your trusted parenting advisor, faithful guide, and servant on the healing journey. What's my name? Big Papa Brian Post. Hope everyone's doing amazing on this terrific. I just I want to say ten tabulous, ten tabulous, tantalizing and fabulous. Thursday. Tantabulous Thursday. I told you guys about Father Divine once before in another one episode. The little black dude said he was born in the middle of Harlem, Harlem via spontaneous combustion in the 1920s. Started a whole religious movement. Well, that's one of these things he used to do is make up words. I'm not Father Divine, though. I was born in Muskogee, Oklahoma. I'm an Okie from Muskogee. And these Oklahoma allergies are kicking my butt. I usually don't get impacted by allergies that that well. So I'm not going to ramble on too much this this uh, this episode. I'm going to go ahead and jump right in because I've got a couple of good questions I want to uh, go over and told the uh, my posties that I would be sure to talk about them. So I pulled them up here on my laptop so I could read them for you guys. So this is from Bree. Bree says she went through the eight-hour um, trauma-informed certification, which is awesome. Congratu congratulations, Bree. Um, she says, I've been trying to regulate myself in order to be a better foster parent. Fantastic. I am a traditional authoritative parent. Okay. I am really struggling with my foster daughter 8 and foster son 2.5. Now, listen to this. Bree says, I lose my cool by 7 p.m. or so every night. I'm exhausted and stressed out. Any tips on how to refocus and regulate when it's just me and a house of seven kids that all need my attention? Bless you, Bree. Bless you, bless you, mama. Bless you, mama, bless you. Seven kids that all need Bree's attention. So she's exhausted. So Bree's trying to learn. She's trying to do some things different. Here's the thing. The nighttime routine. So it's two things. Number one is the nighttime routine. You've got to create a nighttime routine that honors your emotional energy it honors where you're at in that moment, where you're at after the course of a day, seven kids, course of a day, the eight-year-old and the eight-year-old foster son and the, the foster daughter and the 2.5-year-old foster son, high needs, right? High needs. They need lots of, lots of attention. They have lots of high anxiety. They have lots of energy. So you have to have a nighttime structure that, number one, first and foremost, honors your emotional energy. So let's see what that looks like. So you know that by 7 o'clock, very insightful, by 7 o'clock, you're already getting tired. Like you're, 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 Your bucket is almost empty. Let me ask you this. After dinner, what do you do? Like, what are, what's the first thing you do after dinner? Do you clean up the kitchen? Do you start preparing baths? Do you um, read stories? Do you, you know, like, do you get on the phone? Like, what do you do? Because I'm going to suggest that after dinner, the first thing you do is something that takes care of yourself. Do something that you can, now granted, I know you've got seven kids, so taking care of yourself can look kind of challenging with seven kids, but what I'm suggesting is something like sit on the couch. Sit on the couch after dinner for about 10 minutes and just breathe and be present. You don't have to do anything. I'm gonna suggest 15 minutes. You don't have to do anything. Just sit on the couch, 
Um, you could turn on the television, turn on, turn on some music, something that you enjoy. Not that you're going to be able to necessarily watch it or listen to it, but it's there. It's in the background. You know it's for you. Okay, so you do that for 15 minutes. You sit on the couch. What that's doing is that's going to start bringing down, bringing down the energy of the home to get ready to transition into the nighttime routine. So also, I imagine what's going to happen is you're going to get a little attention from the 8-year-old and the 2.5-year-old. They're going to come and they're 2.5-year-old. It's funny. They're going to come and they're going to engage you. Well, they're engaging you because they need that little bit of security because they could probably have... they. Foster kids, it's a mixed bag. You never know what night times look like for them. I mean, there's going to be so much trauma, so much anxiety around nighttime. So you never know. And I'm assuming that that's when they start to get pretty needy. And so you taking that 15 minutes is going to pull in that attention. It's going to pull in that energy. It's going to start dialing down that time. But it's also going to be you saying, I get this 15 minutes. Yes, you still have to give like mama bear, but it's your 15 minutes and you just be on the couch and just hang out. Let the kids come, let them interact. You don't have to do nothing. Listen to your, your music from the peripheral or kind of catch a little bit of your show, but give yourself that 15 minutes. And here's the other thing I want you to do. Give yourself a nice, sweet little treat. So after that 15 minutes, give yourself, or maybe even before you engage in that 15 minutes, give yourself a nice, sweet little treat that's just for you. So maybe it's a little candy bar. Like I like chocolate with caramel. <sighs> Oh, gosh. <sighs> Get you a little something sweet. Hide it in your room. It's just yours. Put it way back in the freezer somewhere. No one thinks to look. And just have you a little a little morsel, a little nibble of it. And just, just, just savor it. And then you go sit on the couch and just savor that taste in your mouth. Settle yourself down and get to enjoy whatever the music or TV is, or maybe it's just, you know, nothing, nothing's on. Maybe mom says no TV and no music after, right after dinner for 15 minutes, there's nothing. I don't even, I don't want to hear anybody's voice. Kids come you can come in, you can hang, you can sit beside me, but we're not going to talk around 15 minutes of peace and quiet. And you're probably not going to get it, but the point is you're setting the limit for yourself. That's going to help your system to regulate and you're not going to, it's, it's going to refuel you because you're not going to be scraping the bottom of the barrel. You think about your window of tolerance. By seven o'clock, Brie, your window of tolerance is so small, so small. And now you got to go through in this nighttime routine with all these kids, not just these two foster kids, but all your kids, you got to go through this nighttime routine of helping them settle in, but you can't do it because your window of tolerance is shut. You're exhausted. And it, it, it just makes it impossible for you to be able to give to them in a regulated way. So then what happens is anxiety is spiking in the evenings because mama's exhausted. Mama bears the only the only one that these children have to feel safe with. So give yourself that 15 minute little adjustment. Give yourself that sweet little morsel. Be very conscious about taking time for you. Even, even if you have to keep attending to your kids in that moment. You're still consciously taking time. You're still consciously saying, this is my time. It's important. This is for me. And then you engage into the rest of the, into the rest of the routine. I might suggest split up some of the, split up some of the things that you might have to do with that many children. Like some take, you know, morning baths in, in the morning. Some take baths at night. You know, you get, maybe do story time all together instead of trying to give every child a story, et cetera, et cetera. And then really look at and monitor the kids who are a little bit older. Do they need to go to bed at that specific time? Or can that be staggered a little while later so that they can be in their rooms, they can still be up, but there's no pressure on you to have to get everyone in the bed in that moment. 
because they're older anyway and they don't necessarily have to go they don't need as much rest and so then it also gives you an opportunity to know that you can connect with them before they go to bed that's what I'm going to suggest so see if you can't start implementing that in, that brie into your home I feel like it's going to it's going to carry you a little bit further it's going to restore recharge those batteries and uh, the most important thing when you're parenting seven children whether they're foster kids or not is your own regulation. If you hit the end of the evening and you are dysregulated and stressed out and exhausted, it's going to be impossible to meet the needs of your children. And then when you can't meet the needs of your children, their anxiety is going to grow up, going to go up, and then they're going to have more demands on you. So give that a shot. All right. Next one is a little bit longer for Annalise. It's about a five-year-old who is getting triggered and running. She is a five-year-old and she runs. Annalise says, I have an adopted five-year-old who is a runner. If she gets triggered, she will take off. Remember, our amygdala has three reactions, fight, flight, or freeze. So she's fleeing. What, what that tells you that in times of stress, she flees. Why does she flee? It's, it's how her brain is wired. Most of us always freeze first, and then we decide whether we're going to fight or we're going to flee. Well, she's freezing, and then she's fleeing. So the first question that comes to mind for me, because the focus, well, let me read the whole question. If she gets triggered, she will take off. This has included climbing out of the backseat car window, which only rolls down halfway and running about a mile before the police found her. As I had lost eye contact and had to get others involved, she has run out of the hair salon into traffic, almost getting hitched. This has gotten so bad, I revised my home many times in trying to secure it to where she couldn't leave without me. I have resorted to installing doorknobs backwards to where the, the key lock is inside and the finger knob lock is on the outside. This has worked, but I don't know what the trigger is and would like your input on what to do to get this to stop or lessen. Okay, perfect. So the first thing we're going to do is we're not going to focus on the running. It's not the running that's important. Like you said, it is the trigger. What is the antecedent to the running? We know that she's running. What is the thing that is making her feel overwhelmed and scared and helpless and hopeless that's then leading her to run out of survival? She's running because in that moment, something's showing up like that saber-toothed tiger did the caveman, and she's going, oh my gosh, and then she's taking off. What is that? What is that trigger that is occurring for her? That's conversation. That's communication that has to be happening. Here's the other thing. I'm really curious about this. What is her early history? Because she could have an early history where she felt really helpless, really hopeless, really scared, and there are certain things that are showing up in the environment that are then leading her to get triggered, PTSD, Bam, she's taken off. She's not thinking clearly, confused and distorted thoughts. See, I want you to understand what that is. I want you to worry less about the fact that she's running. In fact, here's the words I want you to use with her. Put her in your, in your lap, look at her, nurture her, cuddle her, snuggle her, and say, honey, and this is in a state of calm. You say, honey, Annalise's had her since, since she was six months old. So I'm wondering what her birth history is. What is, you know, so if you've had her since she was six months old, what was that? Do you know anything about what that in utero experience was like for this child? And also for those, for those six months. So you say she has PTSD. So something has gone on for this child that's got that amygdala feeling really sensitive. So here's what I want to do. 
I want you to put her in your arms in a, in a calm time. See, it's important that we have healing conversations with our children when, they, when, when everyone is calm and settled. When they're stressed, we're working with a whole different part of the brain. So you say to her, honey, sometimes you get so scared and mommy gets scared and I don't know what makes you scared, but you take off running and it scares mommy so much. What is it that's happening in those moments, honey? And really connect with her. Really connect with her because mommy really wants to keep you safe. Mommy knows you have to run because mommy knows you run to feel safe. And I want to be the one that makes you feel safe. I want you to run to mommy. Can you help mommy understand what is it that makes you take off running? Pregnancy was traumatic. That's great. So here's what you're here's what you're looking at with a pregnant with a traumatic pregnancy. Imagine a fetus in the womb, kicking, moving, jumping, and you know what this is doing? What it's doing when she's moving those arms and moving those legs is she's releasing trauma. She's releasing shock trauma out of her body. This is why in domestic abuse, this is why she runs. The running is actually how she's discharging the energy that she's feeling in that moment. So imagine being contained in a small environment and not being able to get loose, not being able to get out. You feel terrified. You hear loud voices, loud noises. Uh, maybe maybe, uh, maybe there's, there's hits and you can't get out. You can't escape it. And so now she's hardwired that as soon as she gets triggered, she takes off running because that's how she feels the most the most power that's how she feels the most control over her environment because otherwise she's got this hard wiring hard wiring that says she's trapped and so something's happening with this child in the moment that's making her feel that trapped experience so i want you to talk to her about when she was in her her bio mommy's tummy and i want you to say to her honey when you were in your bio mommy's tummy it was not a very safe place it was not a very happy place i think you were a really scared baby because there are a lot of loud noises and things were just not safe and i think sometimes right now you when you get scared you feel so scared and unsafe that you just take off running and you don't even know it. And that makes me so sad for you. And I really want you to open up, open up that heart chakra when you're having that conversation. See that scared infant child who doesn't have any idea what's going on in their world. And oh my God, they can't get away from it. They can't escape it. They can't run fast enough. See that little scared baby and just talk to her and connect with her at that level and say to her in that place, I want to be the one that makes you feel safe. I want to be the one that you run to when you get scared. So that's number one. That's very important. Make that a heartfelt, a heartfelt conversation and connection as much emotion as you can bring up in that. And the next thing I want you to do is I want you to I want you to, guys to practice. This is so important. When you talk to her about, think about these situations. Now, what was going on in the backseat of the car? When she climbed out of the backseat of the car with the, with the window halfway rolled down, she was feeling pretty overwhelmed. I'm assuming you were driving. So what's going on in that moment for her? What's that experience? What are the signals she's giving you that you're not tuning into enough? See, I always say all severe behavior is almost always predictable. If we'll just pay attention. But stress takes us offline. And when we're stressed, we're not attuned. And when we're not attuned, we're not connected. We're not listening to the signals. We're usually trying to, trying to push, push force our own agenda. And we're not listening to the signals. And all of a sudden, something, something bursts. So, okay, so she ordered a donut. 
She ordered a donut, and that's what caused her to jump out of the window and run for a mile? That, that I know we're, you know, it's kind of hard. Annalisa's communicating through the feed here. So I, I'm not sure how that, how that lines up. She ordered a donut, and then she got triggered and overwhelmed. Um, huh. I'd have to really, I'd really have to really think about that. So obviously, you know, ordering a donut doesn't make her feel very safe. So <laughs> I would, that would be something I'd have to talk to you about to really, to really comprehend what was going on in that moment. Because if she orders a donut and then she runs, she's not going to get the donut. So there's something in the process of ordering the donut that makes her, that, that triggers her because when she's triggered, she's not thinking. Like her thinking goes completely offline. Short-term memory shuts off. So there's no longer the concept of the donut. So I'm wondering what's the conversation going up to leading, leading up to ordering the donut, right? Investigate that, dissect that. The same way with the, with the other situation where she ran out of the salon. Dissect these scenarios so you can start to see what is the theme What's going on that all of a sudden leads to this trigger? And ask yourself a couple of really core things. When's the last time she ate? When's the last time she sat on your lap and got a hug in those moments? When's the last time you made eye contact with her? How many people is she engaged with in any given in any given moment leading up to that situation? You know, so what what is her what is her own window of tolerance leading up to these? incidences that you're experiencing. So as I was going to say, I want you to practice the running. I want you to practice the running. So I want you to go into any, you go in anywhere, go to the playground, go to the mall. It's all, it's all going to be fun. We're going to practice how we can teach little baby girl to stay safe. So you're going to say, okay, you're going to get scared and mama's going to be over here. And I want you to run to mama as fast as you can. Okay. And so you say, Okay, one, two, three, and you and she says, "Mom, I'm so scared!" And she just takes off. She comes running right into your arms, and you guys, you squeeze her and pick her up. Say, "I can keep you safe. I can keep you safe, honey. I can keep you safe. I love you. I'm gonna keep you safe." And then could be smells. Yep, Rose, Rose, hey, Rose, Rose is on it. Could be smells, and you just practice that and practice it again and again and again and make it a little game to where she gets scared. She and so what you're doing is you're teaching her to be more conscious of her fear and her anxiety that's causing that trigger to go off and that condition. You're conditioning her brain. You're conditioning her brain to form a new pathway that says instead of running for survival like a scared animal, I'm gonna run to mom to keep me safe because she hadn't had anyone to keep her safe. So could be, and Annalise says, could be smell and I can smell. So there you go. Um, so practice, practice, practice. Have that heartfelt conversation with her. This shouldn't be something that's going to take a long time for you to uh, definitely lessen. And I, I suspect after, if you really have a good emotional conversation with her and connect and help her open up and then you do the birth story with her, it'll probably stop altogether. But the next thing is you have to be really attuned, start being more attuned to what is going on with her that's leading up to her window of tolerance to shrink and then practice. So you got three things there. Annalise, I want you to, to do these three things over the next two weeks and then I want you to write me back and let me know what's going on. So I hope those two things are helpful to, for you guys. Remember, in any given situation, any given situation, we always have two choices. We can continue to react from their same blueprints 
of stress, fear, and overwhelm and do the same thing and expect a different outcome. We can focus on behavior. The moment you're focused exclusively on the behavior, you're operating from a place of fear. I'm going to say that again. The moment we you are operating the moment you are focused exclusively on the behavior you are operating from a place of stress and fear the moment the only thing you want to do is control suppress or change the behavior you're operating from a place of fear and think of how easy you got a five-year-old who's running in the traffic and almost getting hit by a car that's pretty scary of course it is but a scared mind is not going to come up with the solution to getting her to be safe. Only a regulated mind is gonna come up with a solution to helping her feel safe. So that's why we can always continue to react from our same imprints of stress, fear, and overwhelm, or we can stop, we can slow down, we can take three to 10 deep breaths, Thank the good Lord above that the child has not gotten hit, right? But we can't, you can't hold that fear. You can't hold that constant fear that she's going to run off and get hit by a car because if you do, you continue to create more anxiety around the dynamic. And as soon as you're creating anxiety around the dynamic of whether she's going to run and get hit, you get misattuned. You're getting misattuned. You're generating as much anxiety in the moment as she's feeling. So you get misattuned. You got to calm down. You got to regulate yourself. Take your three to 10 deep breaths, and that's choosing love. You're welcome. So before I sign off, Sarah Nicole, ours has such difficulty making decisions, especially with food toys, it's overwhelming. Extreme fear of regrets resulting in disappointment. Okay, so Sarah's saying, ours, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about this real, real super fast. Um, the son has extreme fear of regrets resulting in being disappointed or unhappy. That's perfect. So it's let him be unhappy. Let him be disappointed. See, the thing, the thing is, and you can just say to him, honey, I want you to know that you're probably going to make a decision and you're probably not going to be very happy with it. And it's probably going to make you really sad, but you know what? I still love you and it's going to be okay. He's working through something. There's something in his story that he's working through, and, and this would be a pretty classic ad adoption kind of dynamic, not being able to make a choice because of that early life transition and that fear of making a choice and that fear of, of the unknown. So that would be a pretty common dynamic. So he's probably working through something every time he's really struggling with making those choices. I want you to give him permission to struggle, and I want you to give him permission to be really upset and really, really sad if he thinks he makes the wrong decision, and you tell him that you love him and you made the right decision by making him your child and no other decision ever 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 is going to be more important than that and that you don't have any regrets you see I took that right away from him and made that about you and your decision about him because unconsciously that's really what you're speaking to he's, he's really asking you to affirm that you made the right decision in having him and in loving him and bringing you into his home, into your home, et cetera, et cetera. So you take that right away from him, give him all the permission in the world to be sad, to be upset and, and just make it okay. Tell him you just love him and we're going to be okay. All right, guys, Big Papa loves you. God bless you, each and every one of you. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow.